if you would turn with me to Luke's Gospel 24, verse 13, towards the end. Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. Now that same day, that's the same day that Jesus rose. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognising him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet. Powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognised him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There They found the eleven, and those with them assembled together, and saying, It's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way, and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. Praise God. Mary, do you want to... to, I don't want you to be stuck on the piano stool uncomfortable. (laughs) 
Maria Franco uh, is a lady who lives in America and uh, she had an accident, a car accident some years ago and she was blinded by the injuries that she received in that car accident and of course that meant she wasn't able to see her family and wasn't able to uh, enjoy the things of life that she had done for many years. But 21 years after that accident she had another accident. She had a fall and she had to go to hospital and have surgery. Well While she was unconscious, she had surgery. When she came out in the hospital bed and and, and came round, the first thing she was aware of, she could see again. (laughs) And this was amazing uh, because the neurosurgeon who operated on her insisted he had done nothing to try and restore her vision. He was dealing with the effects of her fall that she had had. And to this day, it's something of a medical mystery how this happened, but the Lord graciously restored this lady's sight. It was an amazing thing, and it made the news and uh, was a, a very encouraging thing to hear about. I love that story because I always think for myself, you know, if you were blind, it would be one of the worst things, wouldn't it? Not be able to read, I love reading, not be able to see the faces of your loved ones, not be able to enjoy a beautiful sunny day like this today. And uh, to have your eyesight restored would be wonderful. But, you know, some people have their physical eyes, but they don't have their spiritual eyes. They have physical vision, but they don't have any spiritual sight. Helen Keller, you may remember that lady, the famous blind lady who was blind and deaf and dumb. Uh, When they actually uh, got through to her, they they, uh, invented a way of touch to communicate her. And this lady behind her dedicated her life to helping her. It was a remarkable thing. And uh, that lady, she had done it for one purpose. She wanted to help Helen hear the gospel. And when she had mastered this language, she went to a man called Phillips Brooks. Now, you know Phillips Brooks as the hymn writer of O Little Town of Bethlehem. And she said, will you come and speak to Helen and share the Bible message with her? And so Philip would come regularly and speak to her, share the gospel with her. And she became a Christian. You know, Helen Keller said this. She said, having no sight is bad enough. But there's nothing worse than having no vision, no spiritual vision, not being able to see. Well, that's what we see in the two disciples on the Emmaus Road. They have physical eyes, but they can't see. And uh, this comes out all the way through the passage. Uh, But the Lord Jesus Christ appears to them and he restores their sight spiritually and the risen Christ opens their eyes and it's a wonderful wonderful appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ and a wonderful miracle that he performs there is uh, it's one of two uh, resurrection appearances that Luke records at the end of his gospel and I love it the first one is to uh, a small group of two people and then the next one's to a larger group So Jesus didn't just appear in one context. He appeared outside in public and then he appeared inside in private. And there was no sort of special setup to get it so you could get Jesus. Jesus could appear wherever he wanted. He was alive and he was risen. 
And these two spiritual blind disciples, they met the Lord Jesus Christ and have their sight restored. Now, who were these two disciples? That's a question people often answer, ask, ask sorry, about this passage. Well, we know the name of one of them in verse 18. It says, one of them named Cleopas. And uh, Cleopas is uh, a name which uh, we know of from another verse in the Bible as well. And that's from John chapter 19 and verse 25. And we're told, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. And most scholars believe that Clopas and Cleopas are the same person. And it's very likely that this other disciple who was with him was a lady, was his wife Mary. And they were returning to their hometown of Emmaus after being in Jerusalem for the Passover. And they were going on a journey to go home along with all the other pilgrims who were traveling back to their homes. Now, uh, Jerusalem is here and Emmaus is here. It's a seven mile journey as you see in your Bible or in the uh, Greek it's 60 stadia and uh, it's quite a long journey not just by miles but by the, the route you have to take. You'll see on my map here some black lines. Those black lines symbolize canyons. There's some canyons. So what most people do is they go north from Jerusalem to what this area up here is called the Benjamin Plateau. And from there you come round and you go on up to the Ajalon Valley to a town which we know today as Nicopolis where they've done archaeology. But which was a Jewish town famous for the Maccabees uh, in 165 having a great victory. And that was where they, li- they lived. And so they were going on quite a journey on their way home. And as they were returning, the Lord Jesus Christ met them and opened their eyes. And I want us to see today the eye-opening experience they had of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. How he restored their vision to three things. Because it may be that we need our eyes opening to these three things as well. Because their eyes were opened, first of all, to his personal presence. Secondly, to his prophetic plan. And thirdly, to his phenomenal power. So you can see I've been alliterizing this week and we're stuck on the letter P. But uh, his personal presence was the first thing they discovered. And we see that in verses 13 to 16 and then later on to 30 to 32. Now, it's interesting, as they were traveling, they were walking along, we read in verse 14, talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. They were walking along, walking and talking and feeling sad about the things that had happened. They were down in, their, down in the dumps uh, about everything they had seen happen to Jesus. And they were walking home from the Passover discouraged. And they were heading back to their homes uh, with their tails between their legs, as it were. And Jesus approaches them. Now, in the Greek, he, it means that he approached them from behind. And it's interesting, in the scriptures, the Lord often comes from behind. John on the island of Patmos says, I heard a voice behind me. 
And that was his experience of the risen Christ. And uh, you remember it says in Isaiah, you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. It seems that the Lord doesn't like to shock people by standing suddenly in front of them, uh, but he comes from behind where they're not looking. And uh, it's his gentle approach to them. And he came up alongside them, but they didn't recognize him. Uh, We're told in verse 16, they were kept from recognizing him. And this corresponds to what Mark says in his gospel, uh, in Mark chapter 16 and verse 12. Mark records this and he says, Afterwards, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. And the Lord did this so that he could hear them and talk with them in an unrecognized uh, way. And what you have here is an echo of history. Back in the book of Genesis, you remember Joseph was sold by his brothers and went down to Egypt. And in chapter 42, when there's a famine, Joseph become the prime minister. His brothers come to get grain. And Joseph recognized them, but they didn't recognize Joseph. And Joseph used that opportunity to be able to test his brothers, to see how far they had gone uh, and if they'd made any progress in their attitudes and behavior. Well, that's an echo, that's a prophetic foretype of what is happening here. The Lord Jesus Christ keeps his uh, knowledge of who he is from them at first so that he can hear what they're saying and learn about them and they and he asks them uh, as we'll see in a minute what they're talking about so at first he's unrecognized by them but then later on he is recognized if we come to the uh, part later on after the meal in verse 30 it says when he was at the table sorry verse 28 as they approached the village to which they were going Jesus acted as if he were going further but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Christ came alongside them and walked that way and then it made out that he was going further. Now that should have been a little clue to them because the Lord actually did that once before. In Mark 6:48, we realize we read about when the Lord was when the disciples were in the boat in the storm and they saw the Lord walking on the water towards them, they cried, it's a ghost. And it looked like the Lord was going to walk past them. That's what it said in Mark six forty-eight. But they called out to him and he came and joined them. And whenever the Lord is called, he comes and joins them. Uh, if you see the life of, of Abraham, Abraham sees some strangers coming towards him and he bids them, come into my tent. He has a hunch who they are, but it becomes more clear as time goes on. Uh, We see the same thing with uh, uh, other people as well. And uh, there's there's a particular story in in a moment I'm going to refer to where we see this as well. We see that with Manoah and his wife. Do you remember the the parents of Samson? And uh, when the, the angel comes back to them, they bid him to stay. Well, that's the same thing. That's happening here with the Lord Jesus and he stays with them and then he sits down at the table uh, in the house and he assumes the role of the host. He doesn't sit as a guest he sits as the host and we see in verse 30 when he was at the table with them he took bread 
gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them. He took the bread and gave the Jewish blessing. Blessed are you, Lord of God of the universe, for this bread, the fruit of the earth. And he broke it. And then we're told in verse 31, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. Now, the Lord suddenly was unmistakable. He'd been unrecognized thus far, but now it was unmistakable. And they suddenly realized who he was. Now, how did they know in the breaking of bread it was Jesus? Some people have suggested they saw the nail prints on his hands as he broke the bread. And certainly Zacharias says that they will look on me whom they have pierced and they will mourn because of him. And maybe they they saw the nail marks and that was the clue. Maybe it was the way he broke the bread and uh, took the authority role in doing so, like he had done in the upper room, breaking the bread. And it's interesting, he broke the bread and said he didn't take the cup. Because he said, I won't drink of this cup again till I drink it with you in the kingdom. And they had the bread, but they didn't have the wine. But whatever it was, at that moment, their eyes were opened. Christ lifted the veil and they recognized him. So what you have is an amazing experience. They have an experience of not recognizing Christ and then unmistakably recognizing him it's something that happened to Gideon as well you remember Gideon had the uh, uh, angel come to him when he was thrashing the wheat in the wine press in Judges chapter 6 and the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is an Old Testament manifestation of Christ and he says I want to offer you uh, a, a sacrifice a food sacrifice and he goes to uh, prepare a sacrifice and the angel says put it on the on the rock And the angel then touches it with his stuff and he's gone. Immediately gone. And suddenly Gideon realises whose presence he's been in. That was a foreshadow of this again. That suddenly the Lord opened their eyes as they realised in the food uh, whose presence he, they had been in. And this is an amazing thing. You know sometimes you can be in someone's presence without realising who they are. I love that story that came out after Her Majesty the Queen died uh, uh, about the tourists who were up in Balmoral. And she lived up in Balmoral in in her uh, opportunities to go up there and to to have have a home up there. And she was walking around with one of her bodyguards and some American tourists were up there with their cameras trying to find uh, where the Queen lived. And And she said hello to them. And she's walking there just in her casuals. And they said, oh, hello, it's nice to meet you. He said, we're looking for the Queen's house. And and he said, do you live nearby? She said, I've got a house just over there. And they said, oh, really? He said, have you ever seen her? And uh, she said, no, I haven't seen her. But she turned to the bodyguard and said, but this man has. (laughs) And they all said, oh, tell us what she's like. (laughs) And he said, she's got a wicked sense of (laughs) humour. Now, I love that story, but that's what happened with these disciples. They didn't realize he was with them all that time. And then they had their eyes opened by Christ to that reality. And you know what you have here is a parallel uh, with something that happened at the beginning of Luke's gospel. In the beginning of Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 2, you remember Joseph and Mary had been with Jesus 
to the Passover then. And Jesus was 12 years old and they'd gone up to Jerusalem and they had come back from the Passover. And as they were traveling back, they were traveling back and they thought Jesus was among them. But they realized he wasn't. And so what they had to do was they then had to retrace their steps back to Jerusalem, back to the Passover scene to find him again. It's a picture of what's going to happen to the Jewish people. They need to realize the Lord isn't among them. They're looking for the Messiah among them. He isn't among them. They parted company with the Messiah 2,000 years ago. And they need to retrace their steps back to Jerusalem, back to the Passover, and find Christ. And that's what happened back there. But at the other end of Luke's gospel, you have the two disciples. And they're walking along away from Jerusalem. And it's similar, but it's different. Because whereas Joseph and Mary thought Jesus was with them, these disciples didn't think he was with them. They didn't realize he was with them. And when they realized he was, they ran back to Jerusalem as well to declare Christ is risen. You see, it's an amazing thing. And Luke's message in this, I believe, is this. You Christians, you need to realize the Lord is with you even when you don't realize it. Even when you don't realize it. See, you may not see him with your eyes, but he really is there. Like we shared with the children, the Lord Jesus said that I am with you always to the very end of the age. Christ is present with his people always by his spirit. And when we can't see him, it doesn't mean he's far away. He is here with us. Now you say, well, why is that so important, John? Well, it's important because Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. It's a relationship with Christ. And we, walk, uh, we were singing, he walks with me and walks, talks with me along life's narrow way. We know him and we have fellowship with him. And his presence with us gives us strength and help in life. Robert J. Morgan said, because of Easter, because of Christ's resurrection, all our problems are temporary, all our blessings, are, oh, sorry, all our pressures are momentary, all our fears are fragmentary, all our blessings are extraordinary. It's true. We have the Lord with us as a result of his resurrection continually. And what a difference that makes. I heard of a a battle scene when the Duke of Wellington's men were starting to retreat from the enemy. And at this point, it looked very much like they were going to lose the battle. And the men were starting to lose their courage and pull back in their numbers. Do you know what the Duke of Wellington did? He got on his horse and he ran right into the midst of the men. And when they saw him, they picked up their courage and turned back and they fought. One of them was heard to cry out, there's the Duke, God bless him. I'd rather see his face than a whole brigade. And other soldiers have testified that is, the pre- that is the, what the presence of a military leader among them would do to the the troops well christ is really with us and as we go out into this world we can have his strength and his encouragement to face the difficulties of life so what a thing to have your eye open eyes open to his personal presence and when you know the lord jesus as your savior you can say he's with me Second thing they op- he opened their eyes to was his prophetic plan. And we see that in the conversation uh, in verses 17 through to 27. 
And in verse 17, uh, we read of the Lord approaching them and he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem? Do you not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. The Lord has a prophetic plan in scripture. One of the great miracles of the Bible is Bible prophecy. Justin Martyr, a famous church leader in the early days of the church's history, said this. He said, to declare a thing shall come to pass long before it is in being, and to bring it to pass, this is nothing else than the work of God. And he's right, God himself said in Isaiah, uh, in the book of Isaiah, how you could tell the difference between the true God and the false gods. He said, because I can tell the future. And this is how I've revealed uh, the, the truth about myself and why you should follow me. And the Bible is a prophetic book. It's a phenomenal prophetic book. Most of people don't realize, but about a quarter of its pages are made up of prophecy. And it's a, a very important thing for both comings of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord had written out in advance the events of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and his coming. But at first, these disciples didn't understand that or didn't understand it well enough. And the Lord drew out of them what they were thinking about him. You know, that's the advantage, isn't it, of the not being recognised. You can ask questions about yourself. What do you think of me? <laughs> I'm not sure I'd want to know the answers to those questions. But the Lord was asking these disciples. And they were, they were honest. They were disappointed in his defeat. They said uh, that Jesus of Nazareth, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And that little phrase is actually a giveaway of what they thought about him. To say he was powerful in word and deed. You know, we find that one other place in the scriptures. It's in Stephen's sermon in Acts chapter 7. And it's used of Moses. Moses was powerful in word and deed. And this is what they had hoped for. It was Passover. They were hoping for another Moses to come and rescue them from the Romans. Just like Moses had rescued them from the Egyptians. They had hoped for that. But... Instead, he got himself killed and the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. So they were disappointed at his defeat. They were also amazed at his absence because what they said next was, and what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. Now, this was ringing in their minds, this third day business. Quite why, we're not sure, other than the fact that they perhaps remembered the Lord had mentioned the third day a few times, and they were expecting something to happen on the third day, as it often did in Scripture. We think of the, 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 uh, the two spies to Jericho who hid, and then they came out on the third day, and they were expecting something to happen. There's many illustrations of the third day. Uh, and by the way, it's interesting, in the Easter story, have you noticed how prominent the number three is? We have three men on crosses. We have the, the, the trials of Jesus, three Jewish trials, and then three Gentile trials, Pilate, Herod, Pilate. Uh, you have the three words of Jesus on the cross, 
it is finished. You have the three words of, of the angel, he has risen. You have the three hours of darkness on the cross and the three hours of light. It all falls in threes. It's a fascinating thing. And they're, they're, they recognize it's the third day uh, since all this has taken place. Something should have happened. But as far as they're concerned, it hasn't. And they say in addition to some of our women amazed us, they went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions, that would be Peter and John, went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And they're amazed at his absence. And you know what? I just had to underline that little phrase there, him they did not see. Because here they're saying that to Jesus (laughs) and him they did not see. They're talking to him. They're blinded to him. But the Lord Jesus doesn't reveal himself to them. What he reveals to them is his prophetic plan. And this is so important, friends. Stay tuned. Okay? Verse 25, he said to them, how foolish you are. Now that word foolish there is not the same word Jesus used in the Sermon on the Mount when he said not to call people foolish. Uh, that was a different Greek word. This word means not thinking, not reflecting. It doesn't mean foolish as in stupid and idiotic, uh, but it means not reflecting, not thinking properly. He says, how foolish you are and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. You see, Christ, the great physician, and Luke was a physician, and he loved Jesus' diagnosis. He says, your problem is this. You don't believe all the prophets. Now, notice carefully what he said. He didn't say you don't believe the prophets, because they did. They were Jews. They would have said, we, we hold to the inspiration of scripture, we believe the prophets. But Jesus said, you don't believe all the prophets. <laughs> you don't believe everything that they said, and you haven't believed it. And this was their problem. They had selected, like the rest of the Jewish people, the things they wanted to believe about a Messiah. That he would come in glory. But they hadn't understood that he must suffer first. And Christ says this in verse 26. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? The Greek word their day is a word that means a divine necessity. He had to suffer these things. And he did have to suffer on the cross because there could be no salvation for you and me unless Jesus paid for our sins so the offence can be taken away before God and then we can be restored to him. And then came the great Bible study that I wish I'd been able to be there for. Verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. I love this. The Lord Jesus went from Genesis right the way through to Malachi and showed them. Do you see this? This speaks about the suffering of the Messiah and the glory that would follow. Then he went to Exodus. Do you see this? This speaks of the suffering and then the glory. What a Bible study. People have speculated. What was it he showed them? I can have some guesses. Uh, In Genesis, he could have shown them Isaac being offered as a sacrifice before God gave him back. And Hebrews tells us that Abraham, for Abraham that was like a resurrection. We can think in Exodus about the tabernacle and the pointers there. And even how the camp of Israel was laid out like a cross. 
like a cross, which the Messiah had to die on. There were the blood on the doorpost, the Passover lamb had to die, and they put the blood on the doorpost. It points up and across. Like a cross, it's pointing to the suffering of Christ. They've gone to Leviticus and seen the sacrifices there point to Christ. Gone to Numbers, seen the bronze serpent lifted up. Deuteronomy, the prophet like Moses. And all the way through the Old Testament revealing Christ. And their hearts were burning within them. That's like Jeremiah. Jeremiah said his, God's word was like a fire in his heart in Jeremiah 20. And they had that same burning heart experience as they listened to the Lord on the road according to verse 32. You see, what the Lord did in that was he opened their eyes to the scriptures. In fact, he expounded the scriptures. The word where it says explained in verse 27 is the Greek word hermeneuo, which is where we get our term hermeneutics from, rightly interpreting the Bible. And the Lord took them through the scriptures so they could know from the scriptures the truth about him and his death on the cross and his resurrection. And this is something really important for us to have our eyes open to this Easter. Sometimes people ask the question, how do we know that Christ is risen? I've got three takeaway answers for you. First of all, we know Christ is risen by experience. And we see all these, by the way, in this passage. By experience, we meet Christ. I met Christ when I became a Christian. I asked the Lord to come into my life, and he did. And I can say, I know him. Do you know him? That's what it means to be a Christian. But we know him risen by experience. And the disciples knew Christ risen as a real person. We know that Christ is risen by explanation. The empty tomb. When they looked at the empty tomb, they couldn't understand it. And no wonder there is no other explanation for the empty tomb than the fact that Christ has risen from the dead. The hallucination theory doesn't make sense because you can't get everybody to hallucinate the same thing at the same time. Uh, the stolen body theory, that doesn't make sense because the, the tomb was guarded and made secure. And anyway, if you steal something from a tomb, normally what you want is the wealth and the valuables. The irony is they left behind the grave clothes which had the expensive spices in. Doesn't add up. And who wants to walk around Jerusalem with a naked body? You know, in a crowded time. And all the other theories, we could go through them here today, they don't work. The only explanation for the empty tomb is the risen Christ. So we have proof he's risen by experience and by explanation. But here's the point Luke wants us to get from chapter 24 of his book. We know Christ is risen by exposition as well. By the word of God. And this is really important because you know what? They were going to go around the world with the gospel and they weren't going to have the tomb with them like they were in Jerusalem to go and look at. And they weren't going to have a physical body of Jesus to show. So how were they going to show people that Christ had risen? The same way I'm showing you today from the Bible. This is another way we know that Christ is risen because the scriptures revealed it prophetically and we see the fulfillment of it in the New Testament with Christ. That's how we know he is risen. And I just want to ask you today, have you taken on board, have you had your eyes open to the prophetic plan of scripture? It's one of the ways we know the Lord Jesus Christ and know his, his, his resurrection. 
You know, Spurgeon tells the story of a, uh, a missionary who was in, a, in Egypt many, many years ago. And a, a great Arab chief uh, was taken ill. And he asked the missionary doctor for a prescription. And he, or he asked him for some medicine. And uh, the missionary wrote him out a prescription to get his men to make up this prescription for him to get better. Well, he went to see this Arab chief, and this Arab chief still wasn't any better. And he said, what did you do with the prescription? He said, I ate it. <laughs> you don't understand. <laughs> it's not the piece of paper. It's what it was leading you to do. That's what would help. And the prophetic plan of Christ in the scripture, it leads us to the person of Christ. So we put our trust in him and uh, that's one thing I pray we have our eyes open to and we act on the final thing Christ opened their eyes to was his phenomenal power and we see that in verse 32 to 35 says sorry verse 33 they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying it is true the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Now talk about stealing your thunder. You know, these two disciples, they, when they find Christ is with them and he's arisen from the dead, they do a, a, a very courageous thing because traveling at night in, in the dark and in that place where there were robbers, in these, they, they traveled all the way back from Emmaus to Jerusalem because they knew the disciples were still there in the upper room. And they said, we've got to tell them, we've got to tell them the Lord is risen. After walking all that way, they burst in the room and they say, he's risen. And they said, we know. <laughs> and he said, well, how do you know? He said, well, he's appeared to Simon, Simon Peter. He's called Simon here because he's backslidden at this stage. But uh, he's appeared to Simon. That's an account we don't have a story of, but it's referred to in 1 Corinthians 15 as well. The Lord's gracious appearance to Peter and helping restore him. But what they found from that was the Lord had opened their eyes again to his phenomenal power. They had left him in Emmaus and travelled as fast as they could back to Jerusalem, but he had already got there and been and gone. And then he was going to come back again in the next verse. The power he had in his resurrection body was absolutely astounding. You know, I, I, I don't know if you ever uh, watched this program, Have I Got News For You, the uh, news program, where it's a satirical comedy. And uh, Paul Merton, I, I, I do like his humour, I've got to be honest. And on one of these programs, uh, they had a news story where Paul Daniels had said this about Jesus. He said, Jesus Christ was nothing special. He, words to this effect. He said that Jesus Christ was just a very clever music, magician like me. You know what Paul Merton said? Paul Merton said, we should take Paul Daniels at his word. Let's crucify him and see if he rises again on the third day. Now, you see the point? We all know Paul Daniels, for all his magic power, he doesn't have the power to come back from the dead. But Jesus Christ did. And when he came back, he came back in mighty power. Mighty power indeed. And his resurrection body could do things that 
is just amazing. It's, it's, a, it's an, again, a never echo of the Old Testament. In Ezekiel, the prophet, the prophet is away in the, in, the, in the country of Babylon and he sees a vision of the glory of God while he's away in Babylon by the river Kibar. Then in chapter 8, he's carried by the Spirit back to Jerusalem because God wants to show him all the things that are happening in Jerusalem. And in chapter 8, he says, Behold, I saw the glory of God again. The glory was over by the the river in Babylon. (laughs) God isn't bound by time and space. And they realized that the Lord Jesus had the same power that was displayed in God. What a great thing to know. The Lord Jesus is the one who can help us because of his great power. I wonder if your eyes have been opened to these things about the Lord Jesus Christ yourself. I'd just like to close with this story. One of uh, the men I greatly admire for his stand for the gospel and his work in the study of the scriptures is, is the Bible teacher, late Bible teacher, Tim LaHaye. Tim LaHaye uh, not only wrote a lot of books, he would also go speaking at every non-Christian event he could get himself invited to. And on one occasion, he was uh, invited to speak at Stanford University in America. And afterwards, a young student came up to speak to him. And he said, I'm an atheist. He said, but I'm not a scientific atheist. I'm a philosophical atheist. He said, it's not science that puts me off believing in God. I just philosophically don't believe in God. But he said, I've heard what you've said today. And he said, I've never really examined Christianity to the hilt. So I want to do that to find out and to prove that I, you know, what I believe, test what I believe. So he went along, this, this student who had a master's degree uh, in, in physics and uh, he was getting ready to do a degree in engineering at another university. And he came and he spent the summer with Tim LaHaye. And Tim said, you know, he was infuriating because he wanted to go into such nitpicking detail about everything. He said, we're never going to get through this. You know, we just got one summer. So they, you know, they abandoned the original plan of going right the way from Genesis through. He said, this guy, he said, we're just going to focus on the resurrection. I think that's the best place to go. He said, from there, we can find out other things about God and the Bible as well. Well, even that, this guy was so fine tooth combing everything. It was exhausting. And they came to September and they hadn't finished their studies. And the guy said, well, I've got a list of books I've printed off. He had a huge long list of books against the resurrection and a huge long list of books for the resurrection. And he had the scriptures and he said, I'm going to take this away with me. And Tim LaHaye said to his wife, Beverly, he said, I don't think we'll ever hear the end of this. You know, he's, he's, such a, uh, he's so finickety, we'll never hear uh, that he's finished this. But you know what? He came back at Christmas. And he came to see Tim LaHaye. And he said these words that he had, he had examined. Well, he, he said these words. He said, I was forced by the sheer weight of evidence to accept the bodily resurrection of Christ as a historical fact. Tim LaHaye's heart was lifted by that and rejoicing. But that student, he didn't stop there. And he said, went on and he said this. But he said, but that didn't make me a Christian. Suddenly it dawned on me that I had to ask this Christ, in whom I now believed, 
to come into my life and save me from my sins. And that's what he had done. And that's why he was standing there as a Christian. He hadn't just done the research and found Jesus really is alive. He had asked Christ into his life. If you've never done so, I ask you to do the same here today before you leave. Ask Christ to be your saviour and Lord. I pray God will open your eyes to this personal presence. He is here. I can say to you, pray to him here. You don't have to go home. You don't have to do it somewhere. You can pray in the pews. These pews have been wet with tears in the past where sinners have given their lives to Jesus in these pews you're sitting in now. Why shouldn't you be one of them before the day's over? Call on the Lord here this morning. He's present. His prophetic plan shows he is the Messiah who died and rose again. And his word will go with you out that door. When I can't go with you, his word will be with you to help you walk with Christ. And his phenomenal power means he can help you along the Christian way. So put your trust in him if you've yet to do so. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved.